Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. So a student asked, is it possible for medical schools to consider me as a URM, even though I don't, even if I don't identify myself as Native American, African American, Mexican American, or mainland Puerto Rican? So what do you guys think about URM self-identification? So my question is, where would you ever identify yourself as a URM? Yeah, if there, you know, you got to base it on some definition, some external definition that says these are what URMs are. You can't just like create yeah. that out of the blue. Yeah, I, I think it. This kind of question goes along the same with with students who ask, like, "Am I considered a first generation student?" Mm -hmm. um, th this question, like, there's, and as far as I know, there's nowhere on the application where you where you signal that to say, "Hey, hey, by the way." Uh, I'm a first gen student. Uh, well, the Texas ones you do, but I don't know on, about on Texas you do. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah, on AMCAS yeah. I don't think you do. Uh, and, and maybe I'm mistaken. I, I dug through all the application services when I was writing the application book. I uh, started writing the application book. Um, uh, I, I'm assuming the Texas uh, guide gives you kind of a breakdown of of how how you yeah, consider yourself a first gen yeah it actually shows it in the application also uh, as well as in the guide of what how we define that and you know basically it, it the, the 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 thrust of it i think is that your generation was the is the first in your family to go to college Yep. So your parents didn't go, your grandparents and all the way back, you know, nobody, yep. you know, of recent note has gone to college and you're the very first one yep. or you're in that generation uh, where uh, you're, you were, uh, you know, and so I, I, what if, what if your parents, your, your parents have a master's degree from another country and then they moved here you were born, no, here. you're the first no. one going to school in the U S no, no, that, you know, that doesn't, in my view, that doesn't doesn't that's not first gen. No, no, yeah. the first generation, and and that's you know I, I think again so many over so many overthink questions like this. Don't overthink it. Just <laughs> look at it in face value. What yeah. does this mean? And then yeah. I think a lot of times students get in students get into uh, a pickle when they begin to overthink it, and then they well, what about this or what about that or you know yeah whatever. So. Yeah. And, and kind of to go back to that original URM question, uh, I know at least one school that sets their own definitions of what they would consider a URM. Right. So right. each school, right. depending on the community they serve and the population of students that they're looking for, they can set their own definition for what a, a URM student is. Right, right, right. Because, you know, in some states, uh, for example, uh, certain categories of, of ethnic groups may not be underrepresented. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know for, you know, for, for uh, honest truth, if that's the case, but I think it's possible. And yep. so, in, you know, particular 
a particular um, state, it might be different. Okay. All right. I've been playing around in the background. I don't know why comments are still deleted. We've got plenty. Um, yeah. So we'll but just... There's something weird with StreamYard because it's not showing any viewers either. But I'm yeah. sure people are watching. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got viewers. Um, okay. I'll just keep reading. All <laughs> right. A student asked, how do you advocate for yourself to medical schools you have not heard anything from yet during an application cycle? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I think from my perspective, um, I mean, you can write a letter of, you know, interest and, and or, you know, short email or whatever and say, hey, you know, I just wanted you to know I'm really interested in your school. But uh, <laughs> if you if you didn't know by now, because I applied yeah, to your school, yes, I'm interested exactly. in your school. But I, I think when the when the schools are in the in the thick of the admissions process, they're so overwhelmed with everything that I'm not sure that's going to do do much good. And and you know I, I just don't know many medical schools that get a letter and and they're like, oh wow. Man. <laughs> well, maybe I've been lucky because I've I've had a couple students um, who like the next day after they send a letter, they'll get an interview invite. So yeah. I, I think there's there's some tact and some strategy behind this. The the first question I typically ask is do you have anything to update them on right a lot of students would be like well no well then don't don't bother them right, right. they know you're interested you applied to their school right. you took the time to check that box on amcast to fill out the 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 secondary essays um they they know you want to go to their school you you applied um if you have some update that also corresponds to a potential weakness in your application. I think those are the students who should take action potentially. Uh, and there's always caveats. But for instance, if, if you're a student who maybe lacked some clinical experience before you applied, planning on getting some throughout the, the application cycle, you could potentially write a very short, very brief update that says, um, I, I know one of my weaknesses potentially is my lack of clinical experience. Here's what I've been doing to, to work on it. Thank you very much. Right. Uh, yeah, just yeah. short and sweet. Or yeah. if uh, a student just asked me recently, um, I have a low GPA, I'm crushing my master's. How do I get them transcripts? Right. Again, that could be an update to say, I know one of my weaknesses, my GPA, I am in my master's program. Here are my most recent grades. Thank you very much. Right. And again, you, you have to caveat all this with some schools will allow you to send updates. Some schools won't. If the school yeah. says, don't send us updates, don't send them an update, no matter how much you want to, um, uh, because then you're just labeled as someone who did, can't follow directions. Yeah. So that's, and that's I, usually where I go. Yeah. And I think, I think that's exactly right. I, I think that if, if all you're sending is a letter that says, I really, really, really am interested. <laughs> please, in please, please. <laughs> then it, it, it's, it isn't worth anything. But if there's if there are updates, agree with you completely, Ryan. Uh, if there are updates, then yes, absolutely, uh, send those in. Yeah, and yeah. You know, the, uh, another, you know, uh, just to ring the bell of the Texas system all, again is that you don't have to do it with every school. You send those updates to the Texas system, and we will disperse them to the to the uh, schools and you can update your grades 
in the system and we'll recalculate your GPA and we'll send it out to the schools. And so, yeah, uh, definitely the just, Texas system rocks. Just keep bragging that Texas yeah, does it better. <laughs> Even though you guys don't want to be part of the U.S. anymore again. Um, the, uh, the, oh, where was I going to go with that? The, the one extra thing that, that kind of threw a wrench in all of this was last year, two years ago, I can't remember when, the AAMC changed their traffic rules. And Scott, I don't know how familiar you are with, with those traffic rules and what they did to change, yep. but it it made a lot of schools mad as far as I know, oh, sure talking to admissions committee members. Oh, yeah, They're like, did. you're taking data away from us that helps us dial in our numbers so that we don't uh, under, um, what's the, the term they use, under, over, uh, subscribe right. the, the students. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. And so they, the, the and, and for, for you watching and listening, uh, really just, if you Google double AMC traffic rules, you can get some, some information. It's, it's kind of confusing, but, but the gist of it is that the double AMC took some information away from schools mm-hmm. that helped them make decisions in, including right. mostly where you have been accepted to, Mm-hmm. Um, and it would, it would help the schools go, okay, we haven't offered this person an interview yet, or we haven't offered this person an acceptance yet. This person was accepted to Harvard. We're Podunk state university. They're probably not going to come to us. And so they would go, yeah, let's, let's not offer this person an acceptance. Um, and, and so schools are, are tiptoeing their way around dialing in their numbers to where potentially there's an extra opportunity post interview to, to reach out to a school because they don't know any, any, anything more about you at this point until later on in the cycle. Unless you tell them, unless you tell them for, for you to go, look, uh, I interviewed at your school. I love it. I, I, I've also been accepted at this other school, but I will come to your school. It, it takes away the desperation because you're saying yeah. I've been accepted already. Right. Um, and so take me or not, I'm, I'm good. But also, if you do offer me the acceptance, you can count me as good on your books, right? Mm-hmm. Schools, mm-hmm. It's, it's stressful for schools, isn't it? To, to like, I got to make sure we don't have too many students. I got to right. make sure we have enough students. Right. Um, it's, it's, I love it. every few years there's a school in the news that's like, we had to offer 20 students like free tuition for next year to come next year or whatever it is because we just had too many, too many students say yes to coming. So that's one potential other, uh, other uh, opportunity post interview. Correct. For a ladder. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Um, uh, a question here. Hello, Dr. Wright. I had a question regarding Texas academic fresh start. Yeah. Do you know if one must enroll in a degree-seeking undergraduate program in order to evoke academic fresh start, or can it be evoked as a non-degree-seeking post-bac? How do Texas public medical schools perceive a student who applies under academic fresh start, and if perceived negatively, should they compensate for it in any other parts of their application? Doesn't so, academic fresh start basically, it, it, the med schools don't even know, right? Yeah, they do, do they? know. Actually. Oh, they do. Okay. Yeah. So just for, you know, just briefly, just the Texas uh, state law allows for what's called academic fresh start. And basically it erases all of the courses that they had 
um, in their undergraduate record. It erases those grades from the from the process that were ten years ago or older. And the ben, you know, the point of this is to aid people who were, you know, slouches and too young and immature and all that stuff when they were in college the first time and have gone back to school and they're just a much different different person, much more focused, mature, you know, all that stuff. And so in answer to the question, number one, um, academic fresh start, you declare it upon entry into a state institution in Texas. This would include community colleges, uh, most of them, uh, but, but in particular for uh, the, uh, the state university, state-run universities, you invoke it at that point. You do not have to be a degree-seeking student. It is upon application to the institution you invoke Fresh Start. And then s second part to your question is, how is it perceived by admissions committees? And uh, it is not perceived negatively. Uh, to do so would be um, an abridge to uh, or an affront to the to the to the spirit of the law, and so. Uh, but in most medical schools, uh, uh, don't uh, you know? I, there are probably admissions committees. I know that that you that we had some at Southwestern, some members of our committee who were uh, really unaware uh, of what Fresh Start was. It didn't really matter to them. They could see the academic record and and how how good it is at this point, and that that you know, the other stuff was taken away is sort of irrelevant. Uh, so I do not think it's, uh, in my experience, has never been viewed as uh, a negative thing. And so, yeah, so I, I think it's built for non-traditional students. And I, I've known quite a few um, non-trads uh, that have come through the pike that have, have really uh, benefited from it. And, and uh, it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, cool. And, and other states have similar kinds of things. If you're yeah. a non-traditional student, I would strongly encourage you to uh, to check out what's available in your state. Uh, a lot of there's a lot of students in Texas that don't know about the Fresh Start program in yeah. Texas. But uh, if this particular questioner has any more questions, feel free to email me at scott at map com, and uh, I can certainly answer any questions. Or you can call TMDSCS, and they'll they'll be happy to answer your questions as well. So so it seems like this is is really just Texas specific because AMCAS likely is going to ask for all of your grades no matter even right. if you've been accepted That's right. for academic fresh start where TMDSAS it, yeah, is like it doesn't mean any it's a state law it only is only applicable in, in, in yeah. within the state and only at uh, state run institutions like private schools and private um, medical schools uh, it, it doesn't mean anything and then in, in terms of the, the second part of the question, if it's perceived negatively, how do, since medical schools do see that it's a fresh start student, will they assume that this is going to be a student who may be an issue? Or no. is it just going to be, what does your current record show? Yeah, they're going to look at your current stuff. Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's so, you know, the, the, the way the law is structured, the, the stuff that they're removing is, is so old Mm -hmm. um, you know, most of the students, it's kind of sometimes even older than that. But uh, okay. so, yeah, so I, I, I don't think there's any any negativity. Uh, in, in, my experience says that from the medical schools. Do schools see the the earlier grades that have been erased or no. do they just see that you are a fresh start student? They see where you went to school, that you have a you know degree from there, for example. Um, 
which is not always the case, but often is. Mm. Uh, and uh, they see, a, you know, the variety of things like that, but they don't, the grades are not calculated into the GPA. Got it. Okay. So when the schools see a GPA, they're seeing, uh, usually they're seeing an academic grades for freshman, sophomore, junior, senior as zeros. And then they see a post-bac program, post-bac GPA that is 3.7 or whatever. Yeah. Got it. Uh, next question here. How would you go about talking about a, your parents' divorce that affected undergraduate performance? Hmm. 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 Well, I don't know. I, I would say, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, what do you think, Ryan? I, I, I lean back to my default. Tell your story. Uh, yeah, obviously that's exactly what I was thinking. Divorce, divorce is a common thing, uh, and it affects everyone differently. And so focus on, on how it affected you. Yeah. I, I had a student this past cycle whose parents got divorced in college and uh, that negatively affected her mom, who, who was more, I think, who she lived with when she was home from school uh, in a financial way that the student had to go get a job to help support her mom and, and support herself now because the, the financial situation changed. And so she was able to, to talk about um, those aspects, right? It wasn't just my parents got divorced, so I got bad grades. It was this happened and because of that these other things happened and and so my my time was divided and um and then i i figured it out later on and, and moved forward so I, I think it really is just a personal answer in terms of how did it specifically affect you and uh your well-being and, and your grades mm -hmm. agreed completely any advice for esl students when it comes to interviews or any advice in general <laughs> give me advice i don't care what yeah. it's about just give me advice 42 yeah um, <laughs> um yeah that's a, a good question i i think interviewing you know if you're an esl student then you you, you almost certainly are going to have a um an accent and uh, so I think it depends a little bit on how pronounced uh, your accent is and if communication is an issue. Um, I think otherwise, it's probably going to be pretty irrelevant to the, to the conversation in an interview. Mm -hmm. um, now, if you've, got, if you've got, you know, some issues and your accent is so uh, pronounced that it, it's sometimes difficult to, to understand what you're saying, then that's a whole other whole nother thing and it, it, it may come up in the interview uh but if it doesn't come up in the interview then you know you may want to uh to, ad to address that um that deficiency because they're going to be concerned about your ability to communicate with patients and how, how is this going to affect in the clinical setting your ability to effectively um you know, communicate with with other other people on the team as well as with your with the patients. Yeah, yeah. I I think um, uh, I've worked with a lot of ESL students, a lot of students with with strong accents. I think there's a lot of self doubt among mm -hmm. ESL students yep. um, that you have to overcome. Uh, that that is really just a look. My accent is my accent. 
Uh, I may think it's really bad, but other people can hear me just fine. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think there's a lot of that 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 needs to be worked through, and that's not yeah. a uh, a tip or strategy or, or technique. That's just have confidence in yourself. Yeah, yeah, and, boy, and understand true. that you're not going to be viewed negatively because you have an accent. And right. Like it's no, like not potentially at all. adds a lot because it's like, ooh, like where are you from? Let's talk about yeah. this. That's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when is it too early to send a letter of intent? Before, before you apply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, before an interview for sure. Yeah. Freshman I, I year, it's too yeah. early. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I think, you know, you would wait post-interview and uh, and do that. All right. It's like it's like being an athlete. You're, you're a freshman in high school and you – you have your school list already <laughs> built out. Like I'm considering these schools, just to let you know. <laughs> oh man, I'll, I'll come on recruiting trips and and see. Yeah. Uh, my so here's one of these questions, right? My parents got their degrees in a different country, so can I say that I'm first gen? Probably not, right? I would say no. Yeah. Yeah. You could say you're first generation American, but not not a first generation college student. Would it be wise for a URM student to reach out to div the diversity office, diversity inclusion office of medical schools when applying to get a foot in the door? Well, so I have a, I, a little bit of a bias about this because I, 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 my bias is if you're trying to game the system, Mm. Uh, and 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 if I was if I was the 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 dean dean of director of admissions at a medical school, and I heard that a student was going around my back to go sideways to get quote their foot in the door, that would hack me off big time. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just saying, uh, you yeah. don't want to you don't want to seem as if you're trying to subject you know somehow go around the the, the established process of admissions. Uh, uh, and you know, and now if you want to contact the diversity dean or, or whatever, uh, to find out about diversity on campus, uh, to find out about, you know, outreach programs or student groups or things like that in terms of understanding the context of the school, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. And, and maybe I'm drawing too thin of a line there between the two. But if your main objective is to is to get that diversity person to put a good word in for you, <laughs> then that's to me that that would be crossing the line for sure. Yeah, I, I think there's there's obviously right when you declare on your application who you are and your race and ethnicity, mm -hmm. you're declaring yourself yourself already to the school right. and, and based on their criteria of how they're looking at students based on the the conversations between the director of admissions and the the director of, of diversity and inclusion on on how they're reviewing those students like that's that hopefully should already be happening and so trying to get your foot in the door just doesn't necessarily make sense I, so i agree um I, i'm not a fan of gaming the system and, and i agree like if you're trying to get some information on the school from a, a diversity standpoint whether or not you'll be comfortable to school uh, what they're doing in terms of diversity and inclusion at that school to give you some understanding if you may want to apply there or not or whatever uh, that would be interesting i i think scott the the follow-up question i would have is um do you think that 
the diversity and inclusion people, director, dean, or what, whatever that title is at that individual school, how much of a, a role do they have in the admissions, or are they looking at it more from a kind of institutional cultural level and not necessarily from an admissions level? Yeah, they typically, well, I think it would depend on the institution and what the role of the, of the diversity person is. Uh, they, you know, I guess it's possible that that person could be on the admissions committee. Mm-hmm. Um, they might be an interviewer, for example, uh, a non-voting interviewer, you know, uh, type of thing. So they may have some role in the admissions process. And uh, if that's true, and you know that that is true, then then certainly I don't. I, I think what I said before isn't necessarily applicable because they have a role already mm. in the admissions process. I knew one institution in in Texas that the divi- that the diversity inclusion person was the dean of admission as well. And so you know, um, so you know, absolutely. I, I think, uh, but if that person is is has no role in the process and you go to that person with the intent and express that intent, then that's all another thing. Okay. Okay. Uh, Another question here. Thoughts on getting a letter of recommendation from my physician assistant coworker. I know she would speak very highly of me, but would med schools prefer to see an additional letter from an MD? I already have one. Hmm. So in, in, in that case, I would say as long as, and I would I, probably, if I were you, I would coach the PA a little bit in terms of their letter that, you, that what you're really wanting them to address is, since they're your coworker, um, to address your, you know, clinical skills. If you, if you, you know, have patient contact then your, your, your skills, your brilliant skills in the, in the, in the clinical uh, context, uh, maybe your dependability and how hard you work and your focus and teamwork abilities and really focus in on uh, what is going to make you great in the clinical setting uh, as a physician. Uh, that would be, you know, my suspicion is the kind of the thrust of that letter anyway, but you would want to coach that person a little bit. But I don't see that as a problem, particularly in this case, if they already have an MD letter, then you know, I, I, I think admissions committees are looking for any kind of information they can get uh, via the letters that can be helpful in the process. Yeah. Yes, she is. Um, that's all the questions we have so far, unless we got uh, just heckling. Uh-oh. <laughs> how, can, how can I prevent Uh-oh. my application from looking like the Gators this weekend? Ouch. Oh! Ouch. Ouch. Oh, man, that's enough to want to throw your shoe. (laughs) Oh, I got got added back. I didn't add add myself back. I was just going to sulk in the corner. Oh, the Gators' loss was was pretty miserable. Too funny. Too funny. Yeah, it's all right. Now I have a funny story. Since we don't have any questions at this point, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a funny story about, and and I have a moral at the end of this story for the for the viewers. 
when I was a uh, director of admissions at UT Southwestern, this is going back to the, to the question about going around uh, to the diversity inclusion person and, and, you know, trying to get them to put in a good word or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a situation one year where the Dean of the medical school, now I'm not talking about the associate Dean for admissions or the Dean of, you know, whatever I'm talking about the, the big daddy Dean. And, uh, and the, the, the Dean at the medical school sent me, uh, forwarded me an email that he had received from, um, a student asking the Dean to please be an advocate for them in the admissions process, uh, that he really wanted to go to UT Southwestern, blah, 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 et cetera. And the Dean forwarded the, the email to me and said, what, uh, what is this? Do I even know this person? I don't know. I, you know, I don't even know who this is and yet they're trying to get me to, and, and I, you know, I, I sent an email back to, uh, penned an email saying, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. We get these kind of people there trying to game the system and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, uh, you probably don't know this person, so don't, you know, I'll, I'll deal with it. And, uh, you know, anyway, blah, blah, blah. Well, unbeknownst to me at the time that I pushed the send button was I sent it, I sent my email to the student instead of to the dean. <laughs> so the student was horrified and it was apparently not his intent at all to gain the system and uh, that he was just trying to express to who he thought was the admissions dean as opposed to the big dean. Mm. And, uh, but boy, wasn't I embarrassed at my email because I had been fairly strong and, and a little cynical in my language. And, um, and so I, I learned a lesson. Through that. <laughs> I learned a lesson and that was be careful when you reply that you're not, that you're replying to the appropriate person and that yeah. you're not, you know, uh, and then, but what I think the moral of the story is for our listeners is that and our viewers is that, you need to be very careful about who you're sending things to. When you're identifying a particular person, be very clear on who that person is and what their role at the institution is before you do any outreach to them. Yep. Particularly if you don't if you don't know them or you know whatever. So just be very careful because it can be viewed as uh, negatively uh, potentially, and so you just want to be super careful with what you're doing. Uh, and what, who you're asking, uh, various favors from or whatever. Yes. Do your research and also don't, uh, mass spam and copy paste and make mistakes doing that. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Dear Texas A&M when you're sending it to Texas tech. Yeah, exactly. Well, and just generally, uh, trying to reach out to someone like a cold reach out is, is quite a skill. Like very yeah. few people can do that successfully. Um, there's a reason that salespeople don't even want to do cold calling because it's it's very rarely well received. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's yeah. been several months, but at some point someone had said like, "Aren't I supposed to reach out to, you know, the admissions people at every school I'm interested in?" And I was like, "Just think about the numbers." Like, no, <laughs> the answer is no, because think about that poor admissions person. Like, how many thousands of emails are they going to be getting then? Like. Yeah, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, that it would not it would not make the favorable impression that you might hope it would. Yeah. Um, 
right. So we did get a couple more questions. I don't know if we need to punt them for next week or if we've got time no, for one or two more. Got some time. Uh, so someone said, um, since there are certain liability issues with patient interactions, what are some acceptable clinical experience options for students? I mean, there's lots, but I've had a few other people email me asking something similar, like, how can I get good clinical experience? So you guys want to chat about that? A liability little. in terms of COVID or liability just in general, in terms of being a non like yeah. licensed provider? Yeah I, would, yeah, I would think that. Yeah. I don't know the context of the question. Yeah. Well, let's, so if let's... they want to type in more, we'll go ahead and jump to the next one, which is okay. uh, somebody says, I've got a BS in biology degree, but with a very low GPA, how would AdComs view a second bachelor's degree in psychology with a few upper level biology courses sprinkled in? Nope. A lot of students go for this whole second bachelor's, like the bachelor's degree doesn't mean anything, right? Having no, like, I got zero, another yeah, diploma, yeah. right? That diploma doesn't no. mean anything, especially when you're going to go back and be like, I struggled in my science courses. So I got a non-science degree to show you that I can handle, like it just yeah. logically makes doesn't sense. make yeah. sense. Yeah. Don't waste your degree. money on a second degree, spend your money taking the courses you need to show that yeah. you're academically capable of, of doing well in science courses. I think a, a post-bac program would be a much better, you know, a structured post-bac program would be a much better alternative than doing a second bachelor's degree in psychology in, yep. in, within that uh, example. Yep. So that's, that student is asking in terms of liability, in terms of being a non-licensed provider. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't think there's any issue in, in, unless the location where you are, um, where you're volunteering or, or doing whatever is having you do things that may be unethical, right? If, mm -hmm. if, if all of a sudden they're like, put in this pick line and you're like, what the heck's a pick line? <laughs> you got your YouTube going on your phone and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah. Um, obviously they, the, the, um, the clinical practices, they are worried about liability more than anyone else in terms yeah. of, their their liability insurance and protecting patients so they're not going to let you do stuff that you're not capable of doing right now that this kind this really comes up when they when students do foreign you know foreign clinical work and and some doctors are willing to for for some reason think that it's okay in dentists this happens a lot with uh think that it's okay to have you know a student that has no training be doing things like suturing. I've, I've heard of, of, you know, suturing going on and stuff like that. It's something that you would never do in the U S yep. you suddenly you can do it if you're in, you know, wherever else. Yeah. And uh, the, if that in admissions committees would be, would view that super negatively. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't do that. And if you did it, don't mention it. Don't talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there are some jobs that, uh, get you great clinical experience that are going to require some training or certification. And it might be that for you to get the good clinical experience you want, you just need to invest in one of those trainings. Mm -hmm. um, yes, yeah, someone over the weekend was emailing to say, like, I can't get any clinical volunteer opportunities. And yes, this is a known issue that is happening during COVID. Right now, it is easier to get a clinical experience through a paid job than it is through volunteering. Now, I mean, bonus to get the money probably means you get a lot less freedom in your scheduling, but. Yeah. And remember, 
there's no difference. There, there, one is not better than the other. Volunteer clinical versus paid clinical. Clinical right. is clinical. Right. That's right. All right. So our last question of the night, someone would like to know about Dr. Scott Wright's awesome C-A-F-F-E-I-N-E blocks, the caffeine blocks behind you. <laughs> so periodic table blocks i got that from uh, a very uh, dear person to me i uh, gave it to me for christmas one year i'm a big coffee fan <laughs> and so they these are you know real um real chemicals or whatever elements and off the the chart of element periodic table and uh and so that's I get a lot of comments on that. So there you go. You don't know where your friend got them for you? No, I, you know, I don't know for sure. I've seen it. Um, I want to say I saw it on Amazon one time, but that may not be true. All right. Question anyway. You're just going to have to Google. They're out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And there's no labels on, there's no labels on this. So I don't have any way of knowing where she, uh, where she got it. So, although I will ask her and report to you back next week. <laughs> <laughs> the important things in life. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Never be afraid to say you don't know and be willing to. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> awesome. Uh, All right. Another funny. Ask the Dean in the books. Thank you, everyone, for joining and putting up with the tech issues with uh, Facebook not connecting properly today, but we made it through. Yeah, yep. we did. We did. We did. We did. All right. We'll see. You and we. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.